the British TV podcast with Chrissy and Ryan. News, reviews, what's on TV this week, DVD releases, and special features all about British TV. Hello and welcome to the British TV podcast, show number 71. Yay. I'm Ryan in Seattle. I'm Chrissy in Seattle. Well, this week's show, we have reviews, news, what's on British TV this week, shows running in the United States, DVD releases, and a feature on Paul McGann. Okay. How are you doing, Chrissy? Good. How are you? I'm good. What did you do this week? I did not watch the Super Bowl. Oh. Well, actually, it was nor catching... did I. So go figure. I was catching up on American stuff, actually. Episodes of Caprica and The Lost. We're doing a Lost rewatch, actually. But yeah, I figured if it was uh, anything exciting happened, it would be on YouTube afterwards. Uh, I gave copies of Come Fly With Me to two friends, and each of them mainlined them in one sitting. I don't know how they did that, but they did. They liked it? Yeah, they liked it a lot. They watched the entire six episodes. I believe there's a documentary this week. That's yeah, kind of it was on today. Scenes, right. Mm-hmm. What did you think about the whole series? I liked it. I actually, I thought the little Britain was, I was getting really tired of the characters because there was so much repetition. So it was nice to see new characters. Each episode, at least one one-off that you didn't see the rest of the series, which was fun. Um, quite enjoyed it. Okay. What else have you been watching? <sighs> Golly. Watched um, the first episode of Billy doing her secret call girl thing. Mm-hmm. Does How many it? gallons of mascara do you think they <laughs> use in this series? I mean, she has so much mascara and eyeliner mm-hmm. on. It's amazing. It is pretty. Well, she wasn't exactly low on mascara as Rose either. <laughs> no. That was her, her chav et look along with the tracksuit. But I like it. It's interesting. There doesn't seem to be David Doss in this series, but they do need to keep giving us new angles to make it interesting. So... I'll keep watching it. It's only 23 minutes a week. Yeah, I like Secret Diary. Mm -hmm. Uh, No sign of it on Showtime for at least the next month. But I assume they they bought into the episodes at some point. Yeah, I didn't watch too much else. I'm trying to think why. I was kind of busy. I had my second job going on and spent a bunch of time with my family this week. So, Family, do they give you the love the TV does? (laughs) The love that never ends. Okay, I'm kidding. Well, what did I watch last week? Uh, first, I watched Marchlands. Mm-hmm. And this five-part ITV miniseries is set in the same house in three different decades. The first is 1968, where a young couple living with his parents cope with the recent death of their daughter. The second is in 1987, where Alex Kingston and Dean Andrews are a married couple whose daughter has an imaginary friend. And the third is in 2010, where a man returns to the village along with his new wife. And linking these are... The imagery associated with the dead girl who may be haunting the place. Now, interestingly, Marchlands is based on an American series called The Oaks that Fox commissioned but never broadcast. Hmm. The writer, Stephen Greenhorn, a Doctor Who veteran, has done a good job of taking David Schulner's original concept and making it thoroughly English and not just filed off the serial numbers and had all the characters drinking tea. The format lends itself to what is hopefully a satisfying miniseries experience, but I can't see how this was expected to run and run if it ever got to American television. You know, we talked about last week, the good old 100-episode mark. Mm-hmm. There are a number of reasons to watch Marchlands. You can, if you like a good spooky ghost story, there's the appeal of the stars. Or maybe you're just an anachronism spotter who enjoys catching flubs on period dramas. But whatever works for you. 
And then I watched Lunch Monkeys. Okay. The second season started. Uh, there's a definite... We talked about this, oh, about a year ago when we did our show about the different BBC channels. And the uh, definite stratification when it comes to which channel a BBC comedy lands on. You know, BBC One shows are expected to be kind of star-driven and appeal to wide audiences. You know, My Family mm-hmm. and Come Fly With Me. BBC Two are more quirky and are allowed to tackle topics that aren't mainstream. And then there's BBC Three, which have developed Gavin and Stacey and The Mighty Boosh, but also is a place for really oddball shows. Like? Like Lunch Monkeys. Was Darth Marenghi on that? Or was that no, that was Channel was 4. Channel 4, yeah. Yeah, Channel 4 and BBC Three are sort of have the same sensibility of, you know, we're not going to give you mainstream hits. We're going to give you slightly off-ball kind of shows, develop different kind of programs. And my question is, if The Office was to start in 2011, which channel would it have started on? Hmm. <laughs> something to think about in any case lunch monkeys is a typical bbc3 kind of show and then it's set in a workplace but doesn't really have jokes per se it's more of an observational comedy that focuses on the characters we get to know the administrators clerks and folks working in the mailroom at a law office rather than the lawyers running the show and your enjoyment of the show depends directly on whether you can relate to any of these characters and want to see where their story goes Yes, there is comedy, but it's usually obvious things like the guy is so desperate for a co-worker who loathes him to become his flatmate that he ends up subsidizing her rent. Or a nefarious lawyer taking advantage of an idiot clerk. I've got a big problem, man. What should I do? Just get yourself down to the clinic, get it seen too. If you leave it, it's just going to get worse. It's more of a work problem. Ah, I see. Mm. If I were you, I'd run away. Yeah, look at me. I knocked up the office junior, nailed some other chick in the store cupboard. Bad shit. Everybody hates Charlie. Two weeks in Thailand. <laughs> They've all forgotten. Probably. I need some lawyer skills. You're a big shot lawyer. Yeah. Can you teach me? What have you got? 52p and a bubba Tell you what, little man. I've got an idea. You scratch my back. And I'll scratch yours. My back's not itchy. My feet are flaky, though. I got clean. You do the new claims, yeah? You give me first dibs on the best ones, and I'll give you some free advice. Isn't that unfair on the other lawyers? Yeah. Yeah. My favorite character is probably Tanya, the office manager, played by Jessica Hall. She desperately wants to impress her boss, played by Nigel Havers, but she gets no respect from her co-workers and her love life is a mess. So with the caveat that Lunch Monkeys is a BBC Three comedy and is not designed to be a mainstream hit, it's a harmless enough workplace show. And Outcasts, the BBC's newest science fiction drama, takes place on the colony planet Carpathia, so named the ship that rescued the passengers on the Titanic. The idea, I guess, the Earth is <laughs> sinking as if hit by an iceberg. Hmm. We're just told that things are really bad there. Refugees from Earth have been living on Carpathia for 10 years in a small town outpost when the series begins. With a damaged transport ship coming from Earth into orbit with possibly the last colonists to have gotten off the Earth. Now, Outcast makes a bold choice in how to introduce viewers to this world, and fortunately, the twice-a-week scheduling by the BBC helps in this. 
Rather than an information dump or a lot of exposition, we are dropped into a typical day in Carpathia with characters who've had 10 years dealing with each other. The focus is on the characters rather than getting the plot going, at least at first. It's a smart move when clearly there's a lot of backstories and plot elements to reveal and discovering who are the good guys and who are the bad guys. Normally I loathe it when a series deliberately withholds important information from the audience, but it works for Outcast because it gives viewers a chance to get to know everyone before things promise to kick into high gear. My favorite characters so far are Fleur Morgan and Cass Cromwell, two members of the security team that are Fort Haven's versions of police. Amy Manson plays Fleur. She looks a little bit like a young Andy McDowell. And you've seen her in Torchwood playing Alice Guppy, Desperate Romantics as Lizzie, and Daisy in Being Human. Paul Reese's, didn't he say everybody needs a Daisy? He'd met her during the Blitz in World War II, and she came back at one point because her daughter, who was now an octogenarian, was dying in the hospital. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Okay. Daniel Mays is Cass, who is introduced with a cloned pig on a leash that he's confiscated. He walks into Hermione Noyes' office, and the, the pig keeps kind of uh, farting. But <laughs> So there's a, kind of a subplot of cloned animals going on. Mays was the charming but sinister Jim Keats on the last season of Ashes to Ashes. He's put to good effect in Outcast, teamed up with Fleur to chase after a rebel played by Galactica's Jimmy Bamber. He's kind of sporting a South African accent, which is... Apt, because the show was shot in South Africa. Nice location shooting there. There was another science fiction show that took place on like three parallel worlds a couple of years ago that was on the Sci-Fi Channel. And of course, the Prisoner remake was shot there too. So it's got dunes and lots of interesting rock formations. You know, nice place to have sort of an unusual science fiction type setting. My advice is to be patient with Outcasts. Um, it's coming to BBC America eventually and not to let too many questions build up about what is happening before you get to know the characters. A problem I have with American telefantasy shows with big mythologies is hitting the audience with a fire hose of information before establishing any of the characters. Flash Forward and V being two recent examples. I think Outcast gets the mix right, at least to begin with. Yeah, it's tough when you have a, a show like that where, you know, you clearly want to slowly dole things out to the audience. And um, I think Lost was an example of doing it right. Yes, I'm rewatching the series right now and they had a few mysteries, like what's this thing in the jungle and the polar bear, but they weren't going to give you hatches and time travel and mythic gods early on until you got a chance to figure out who the characters were. They really wanted to make it a, a character show to start with and draw the audience in, which I think what made it a very successful series in the first season. You know, then the crazy stuff could start happening. Mm -hmm. Well, this week on Twitter, what kind of tweets did I twit? I'm sure I've messed that up somehow. <laughs> Just was... For some reason, I never really followed Twitter, but I just looked at Stephen Fry's because I was thinking about him. Is he him. back on again? Um, oh, yeah, he has been. But he just came back from another from another country filming something. And they had to cut Japan out because Japan's still mad about the QI atom bomb references. Yeah. But he said um, just this morning, I think, that he just slept for 20 hours and felt like a new person. He was really, really tuckered out from whatever the filming he was doing was. Yeah. You can't picture him sleeping 20 hours, You can maybe three, you know? He just seems to pack so very much into his life, but... Well, Jet Lay will catch up with you. Yep. Well, alas, I'm not quite as interesting as Stephen Fry, which is probably why I have slightly fewer followers than mm -hmm. he does. One of the things I said was, what kind of world are we living in when NCIS is getting 22 million viewers in its eighth season? Because I, you know, I don't watch these police procedurals, and in this show, in its eighth year, is actually getting more and more popular. 
Is it just a familiarity of TV? I don't know. You know, most shows are sort of on their decline, but I mean, we talked last week about what's the ideal number of uh, seasons for a show. And yeah. you think by its eighth season, you kind of run out of stories, yeah. getting tired of the characters, but not in CIS. It is defying gravity. I have to say, though, I was really amused watching the Road to Coronation Street that I talked about a little bit when that the actor who's been with it now for 51 years where they show him just wondering if maybe he shouldn't be in it because it's a whole 13 show commitment and he wants to go off to London. <laughs> I liked that. They're very subtle and hitting them, him just worrying about, you know, getting roped into this show. For there, there's irony in those statements. Yes. <laughs> uh, another tweet was David Williams is going to guest star as an alien on Doctor Who. Well, he's already sort of done that, going back to the Doctor Who night. Yes. The, sort of uh, an alien in the planet of drag. <laughs> Talk the, with the glittery makeup, I remember oh, that. And then Paul Putner in a similar outfit. That that took it over the top. Oh, and their little skirts mm-hmm. and they're holding the hands. Yes. yes. Yeah, he was on Chris Evans' radio show. And Chris Evans is like, oh, you should be like in a James Bond movie. And he goes, I'm, I'm a comedian. I said, maybe I could have been on when Roger Moore was doing the more funny ones. But, you know, I couldn't do it now. Well, I was just listening to the second radio series of Little Britain, which I hadn't listened to in years and years and years. They got paid £2,000 a series each. And they said, and it took them about a month to to write the episode, but that was their choice. They could have written it in a couple days. They just wanted, they really, they had, it was the point they had already submitted two prior series pilots and neither had been commissioned so this was the one that was going to do it and then when they started writing it they realized something clicked and it was the best thing they'd ever done so they just wanted it to be polished and they actually got the offer to turn it to the tv series after the first series and they asked to do a second to have a more backlog of characters to work from when the the tv series hit they released a best of the radio series one cd and they, the signings that they did in London were just the hugest signings that people at HV, HMV or, you know, Virgin Megastore had ever seen. So they decided, well, we better release the whole thing, not just this one-hour compilation. And they did, and they recreated a special making of um, audio documentary narrated by Tony Head. And that was really interesting, just seeing how far back these kids go. And when they met, you know, they were teenagers and... We talked about that during our David Williams yeah, show. Yeah, um, but I was, it's fresher in my mind now, really, just their career paths and everything. And of course, giving out the Come Fly With Me series to a couple people this week and having them both watch them in one series and pass them on, it's made me kind of want to go back. I never really finished watching series three of Little Britain. I was kind of, I bought the DVDs of all of the British series. The US series, I just, got from telly but um kind of making me want to go back and watch them again and the commentary tracks are always great fun to listen to they give very good commentary how much material do they recycle from the radio series on tv quite a bit so i guess it was worth the time they spent to write that because they gave them as you say a backlog of stuff they could call on i think they improved all of it from what they did to transfer it they were very sad that the the actress who had played the grandmother that David's character was in love with as a teenage boy um, passed away. And though they loved the person they got from the TV series, they were always, always kind of sad. They couldn't take the sweet old lady. Because they, they're both people who just genuinely love old ladies and <laughs> have a great deal of fun with them. And 
I think in one of the commentary tracks, um, David said, I am somebody who is genuinely happy in the company of older ladies, but I'm not sexually attracted to them <laughs> as he's on screen sucking her toes. and <laughs> Which he said was really disgusting because she'd put this sort of floral hand cream all over her feet, you know, then that was just kind of awful. He'd wish that she had just left them plain. <laughs> well, we mentioned that uh, Benedict Cumberbatch was going to be in Frankenstein, which mm -hmm. is the new play directed by Denny Boyle, and he and Johnny Lee Miller are yep. alternating the part of the Doctor and the Monster each yep. night. That's traditionally been done with the Sam Shepard play True West. That was kind of its conceit when it was created, and um, every production I've ever known of it has had the two male leads go back and back. My f JT saw it in New York with um, Philip Seymour Hoffman and John C. Riley doing oh. the parts, and she said she looked around at one point. It was a circle in the square, so circular. And she said everybody, they were sort of aware the play was going to come to an end soon. And she said everybody was on the edge of their seats, poised, ready to spring up and start clapping. So it takes a very special play to make a tour de force strong enough to, you know, have these. And then get really great actors to sink their teeth into. So that's what this sounds like it's aiming to be. You know, a lot of us cannot get to London to see mm -hmm. the uh, Danny Boyle Frankenstein with Benedict Cumberbatch. But... It's going to be shown in select cinemas on March 17th. They're bringing a bunch of cameras in, and they're uh, he's selecting the shots in, ahead of time, mm -hmm. and it will go out live. And will be shown in Europe and in 65 cities in the United States. Wow. So I would assume that Seattle is one of them. By at noon, yeah. We'll have to figure out where then and go have a St. Patrick's Day Frankenstein party. We'll probably be live in Europe and tape delayed here, but yeah. it'll be that day's performance. And I believe on that day... Uh, he'll be Benedict will be playing the monster. That's cool. I hope it comes out to be bought too. I know that a couple of weeks ago, um, Epic showed one time only, and Eddie Izzard had played Madison Square Garden, first British comedian ever to sell out the garden, and it was filmed and they showed it a couple of weeks ago. But I've seen nothing about it being released on DVD, and I, I'm not an Epic survivor, so I was or subscriber, so I wasn't able to watch it, and I want to. I've never even heard of Epic. Yep. One of the many universe of cable channels. Oh, just channels. one of those instantly beam you online TV shows and movies and things. Hmm. Yeah, I had a trial of it earlier, so I, and I watched Believe, the Eddie Azar documentary that way. Oh. And But the trial ended, and you know you can't keep doing trials, so wasn't able to see the new one. A friend of mine sent me these really awesome Jerry Anderson stamps. Mm -hmm. And here, let me I'm gonna show you one. Hang on, let me get over here. Okay. Ryan is walking across the studio, dodging all of our temps, and oh, very neat. You're not going to mail anything with these art babies, are you? Oh, no, 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 no. Achoo! <laughs> There's a set of four of them, and it has that uh, animation that you used to get on uh, old postcards. Yeah. Kind of, yeah. It's, it's a hologram, isn't it? It's 3D. It's 3D. Yep. And it shows each of the four Thunderbird crafts going, and these are the most amazing stamps I've ever seen. So thank you, friend, for sending me those. Uh, get a chance to see them if you can. Unfortunately, can, you know, if I put a picture of them on the internet, it's just not the same. You mm -hmm. have to see these in front of you. So, well, unfortunately, if you want to stick them on the YouTube channel, take a little movie, and I'll put it up on my channel for you. Yeah, a video would, would do it, but it yeah. still just won't give it justice. You can follow us on Twitter at Brit TV Podcast. Well, the news this week, 
Margaret John, the actress who played flirtatious pensioner Doris in the BBC sitcom Gavin and Stacey, died last week at age 84. And her very career included roles in Radio 4 dramas, Doctor Who, Little Britain, Coronation Street, and David Schwimmer's 2007 film Run, Fat Boy, Run, alongside Simon Pegg. So a lot of people, uh, Simon Pegg and James Corden and all them came out and were like, oh, we're really sorry to see that she died because she was a nice old lady and nice actress. Uh, do you remember Free Agents with Stephen Mangan yep. and Anthony Head? It's NBC wants to do a remake and uh-huh. they've commissioned a pilot that was about television agents going to be changed into being PR guys, not public relations guys. And as the same producer is obviously a new cast. We'll see if that makes it to TV or not. But once again, they're going through the archives in Britain. What can they make as American television? What's on TV for the week of February 9th to the 15th? Wednesday, Waterloo Road continues on BBC One. Neil Oliver hosts A History of Ancient Britain on BBC Two. I've liked his documentaries about the coast and Scotland. They've been very entertaining, so I'd give this a shot if you're interested in prehistoric Britain. Thursday, Marchlands continues on ITV One. Mad Dogs! Yay! Debuts on Sky One. This Spanish set caper miniseries reunites the stars of Life on Mars, John Sims and Philip Glenester, as well as Mark Warren, Max Beasley, and Ben Chaplin. Wow. What a great cast. There are no women in this. It's all guys, so the testosterone will be flowing. And uh, I found an interesting article online. They interviewed all the actors on location, and we'll have a link to it in our show notes. That's Mad Dogs. Yay. Yes. Not Going Out has its season finale on BBC One. Tim Vine reputedly doesn't want to do another season, but it remains to be seen if the BBC will commission one in any case. Yeah, they had to replace the female lead after the first season, and then, of course, Miranda Hart mm-hmm. left after the third season, but they think they just can't do the show without Tim Vine there, because he owns the flat, and the whole logic of the series is that uh, Lee is there because he's his friend, even though his sister lives in the flat. Mm-hmm. Or they could recast it. Topical Comedy with 10 O'Clock Live on Channel 4. Celebrity Juice returns for another season on ITV2 with semi-regular David Hasselhoff. Who's probably much bigger celebrity in Britain than he is here right now because he actually is on Britain's Got Talent. And he's in America's Got Talent as well, isn't he? But they showed when uh, Michael McIntyre won the British Comedy Award. He was in, He was judging there and Hasselhoff was there. Lunch Monkeys continues on BBC3. Skins continues on E4. Friday, Hustle is back after a break last week on BBC1 with a football-related scam. It used to be once per season that somebody would get the best of them, but they haven't done that for a couple years. They've always come out on top since Adrian Lester's character came back after failing to sell the Sydney Opera House. Hustle has an interesting formula, though, that because you know that they're scamming us at the same time, that you think, oh, oh things are going bad, things are going bad, oh, no, it's, it's all going downhill, but, oh, we find out this bits of information and flashbacks, and they've pulled the rug out from the audience the whole time. So you sort of watch the show. It's kind of like watching a Darren Brown thing or a magician thing. You know you're going to mm-hmm. be tricked. That's the whole point of watching the show. It's true, but they, they have been actually tripped and lost a lot of money themselves on a few occasions and then they just sort of have to do a virtual hat tip to the the victors well it could happen this season we will see 
So far, I've watched the first three, and it hasn't yet. So, Fast and Loose continues on BBC Two. The Graham Norton Show on BBC One has guests Sigourney Weaver, Brian Cox, and Sandy Toxfig. I guess Sigourney Weaver's in Paul with Simon Pegg. Oh, okay. That's what she's there promoting. It's coming out soonish in Britain, and will come out here later this spring. So is it uh, actor Brian Cox or Dr. Professor. Brian Cox? Professor Dr. Brian Cox, the rock musician. <laughs> on Saturday, Harry Hill's TV Burp is on ITV1. Sunday, Time Team is on Channel 4 with another archaeological dig. Lark Rise to Candleford has its last ever episode on BBC One. Don French returns as Carolyn Arliss, who appeared in earlier seasons. Oh, that's another thing I listened to this week. Don French and Jennifer Saunders did some radio hosting, and they would have a feature called Someone and Their Mum, and they had Benedict on along with his mum, and Joe Brand was on too, and that was great fun listening to. That's the nice thing about like, listening to my car. <laughs> All these things, I just sort of download and put them on temporary CDs, and I really need an MP3 player bad. <laughs> Some people listen to us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, a friend of mine today wrote that he had um, started watching Misfits on our recommendation and really okay. liked it. So That's a good show. Yep. Top Gear is on BBC Two Sunday. Uh, which nationality will they insult tonight? Two weeks ago, it was Mexicans, and last week, it was Albania. What? The Dutch. The Dutch. I think they've done the Dutch. (laughs) It's almost like spooks with the International Villain of the Week. Steve Coogan wrote an article saying that they were three rich, middle-aged men laughing at poor Mexicans. He thought it was in bad taste. And while he's got a point, the show often reinforces foreign stereotypes. The presenters on Top Gear are professional idiots and don't claim to be anything else. Well, Wild at Heart is on ITV1. The Promise continues on Channel 4. Being Human continues on BBC3. On BBC1, it's the BAFTAs award ceremony, with the King's Speech clearly the favorite in the run-up to the Academy Awards in two weeks. And Jonathan Ross is the host. That Sunday night show is on ITV1. Monday, Outcasts continues on BBC1. Meanwhile, BBC Four has For Crying Out Loud, with former nurse Joe Brand investigating crying. Along the way, she talks to Phil Jupitus and Richard E. Grant. Yeah, that's interesting. I wonder if she'll do any mental health episodes if she's doing things like this. I know Joe Brand's talked a lot about being a psychiatric nurse. She said that's how. She actually, remember last week I was saying I didn't know how she stood some of these awful heckles that she got? She talked about that with um, French and Saunders and said because... The insults that she got when she was working in an emergency care clinic for mental health patients just toughened her up. So people saying, you know, F off you fat cow was almost a compliment when she was on the circuit. So, Hmm. yeah, I like her if you can't tell. I think she's very wise and very kind and um, likes herself a lot more than she did when she started out and. She's just sort of becoming the godmother of Britain, I think. Did you ever see the documentary that she and Hattie Hayridge did where they spent a night in Bedlam Mental Hospital? No, no. Oh, because it's all deserted now. Yeah. So basically them and a camera crew. And Hattie started getting a little freaked out. Well, she likes Hattie because she picked her as one of her comics choice leading up to the comedy award. She wanted to pick people who aren't on TV a lot now or, yeah. or maybe used to be like Jerry Sadowitz, but for whatever reason, aren't. and Okay. 
Yeah. Send Joe Brand things. I will watch them. Okay. <laughs> Alan Carr, Chetty Man, is on Channel 4 Monday with guests Lee Mack, Matt Smith, and JLS. And Matt's going to be talking about Christopher and his kind. Yeah, with uh, good old Lindsay Duncan playing his mom again, like she did in a play last year. I think it's if uh, Sarah Parrish and David Tennant played mm -hmm. uh, marrieds or couples right. an awful lot, maybe Lindsay and Matt are destined to play mother and son <laughs> for future projects. So I think they'd be delighted, too. They seem to adore each other, so... Tuesday, episode four of Outcasts is on BBC One. James Corden hosts the Brit Awards 2011 on ITV One. Is Patrick Stewart invited? Probably not. <laughs> yeah, James. Did you see James on Chatty Man a couple weeks ago? He no, was, I didn't. Oh, he was, he was on a diet. He said, I've left it a bit late for the Brits, you see, because Alan usually wanted to... Uh, make him a drink and he said no i'm not drinking and i'm not eating bread it's horrible i look at sandwiches and i want to grab them and eat them and he said normally i would happily drink your entire drinks cabinet but couldn't do it and <laughs> alan said he could just put a whole straw into the drinks cabinet and james would usually just suck all the contents right out but couldn't do it charlie brooker's how TV Ruined Your Life on BBC2 looks at viewers expectations of love on television Coming of Age continues on BBC Three. Good Old Shameless continues on Channel Four. And The Secret Diary of a Call Girl with Billy Piper continues on ITV Two. Now here's the thing, because you know I've read the books, mm -hmm. which really have nothing in common with the TV series. Because yeah, she was only did it for like six months. Right. right. It's the series, all the plots. There's no plots at all that have been from the books. It's just was a springboard. Right. And the Bell, Bell herself is a lot different than the Hannah character. Prostitution itself is not illegal in the United Kingdom. Really? No. Because at one point, I noticed she told her mat she had a madam, the real Belle, mm. who just made her appointments for her and told her where to go and when, and she would call for safety and everything. And she was be getting uppity and said, so I reminded her that it's her job that's illegal, not mine. Because a lot of the things around prostitution, um, pimping, being a madam, working the street, are illegal. But the actual selling of sex for money is not. And in this new series, Belle's taking over for her madam, who's been incarcerated right. for money laundering. So I'm kind of curious that now she is breaking the law and what's going to happen there. So yeah, I can't imagine that won't be some sort of a plot point. They surely want to make her more complicated. Mm -hmm. In the United States on BBC America, Wednesday, the reruns of The Tudors. Friday, it's Law & Order UK. Saturday, Primeval has a double feature with two episodes. It's followed Saturday on BBC America with The Graham Norton Show. And Sunday, not quite live, but at least day and date, the BAFTAs will be shown in primetime on BBC America. So stay away from spoilers until you get a chance to watch it. Top Gear continues insulting Mexicans, or maybe not, on men on Monday. <laughs> Um, they'll be showing the second episode, so yeah, I think it will be like a Mexican ah. one, actually. The third season of Merlin continues Friday on Sci-Fi. On Showtime, Episodes finishes on Sunday. And Episodes in the UK has red button features. Yes. So I'm guessing that must be a DVD extra at the point it gets released. And Do not... they put those on DVDs? On episode, on red button features? Well, uh, DVDs Depends. usually have extras, so I'm... Yeah. Because they're showing... 
people in America would probably have some interest in them if they go and buy a DVD and liked the show enough. But that's interesting. It and might be like uh, Crodman Dune, where you've got the British version that's narrated by Michael Gambon, and then mm-hmm. the American version, which has a different narrator and completely different yeah. versions. Who knows? I was, watch, I was reading about a um, CGI film from, the, I think, that not that long ago called Robots and it had a pretty international cast. You had Ewan McGregor in there, but you had lots of Americans as well, but they replaced one medium sized character, which was voiced by Natasha Leone here with Kat Dealey, who was so popular in the UK just to make it a little more, I guess, feasible when it was released just in the theaters. Now the DVD only has the Natasha Leone version, <laughs> but it's just kind of interesting that they were just replacing a random character. There might have been more. I couldn't find anything else about it. I was reading up on it, but it's the marketing guys at work. Mm-hmm. People who make our lives so much more terrible. Well, that would that would get your goat, wouldn't it? If you were the only person who got replaced doing your she got paid work. Yeah, well, but everyone else got to stay put. Because there were things like the the rude the Ronnie the reindeer. reindeer, yeah, that had a completely new cast. Yeah, because Ardell Hanlon was doing right. that, in, in, and it was Ben Stiller here, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah, but everybody got changed. Yeah. So, I mean, that's one thing. But just picking out one character and redubbing just that part is funny. I think when you're an actor, though, you're so used to rejection and almost having jobs and having to audition for things and not getting it that you know. Mm. having voiced a thing for a show or, or, and being replaced, hey, you got paid. You know, the producers decided to do whatever. It's their property. They can do what they want with it. At least you got paid. But, you know, it's no reflection on you. It's always just, you know, marketing decisions and things like that. Who knows? The best bet is to uh, become very famous and then they're <laughs> like, oh, we cut you out of the film. What yep. dummy did that? Uh, let's see, getting back to what's on TV, Masterpiece Classic on Sunday on most PBS stations presents Any Human Heart. William Boyd adapts his acclaimed 2002 novel about a man, at various times a writer, lover, art dealer, and spy, making his often precarious way through the 20th century. Matthew McFadden, Gillian Anderson, Jim Broadbent, Tom Hollander, and Kim Cattrall star. And we reviewed this back in show 60. And I liked it quite a bit, so take that as a recommendation if you can. And there won't be any ads, unlike when it was on Channel 4. <laughs> yeah. For DVD releases, yes. Doctor Who, The Mutants, a 1972 story with John Pertwee as the Doctor. Watch the opening shot sometime and see if it doesn't remind you of the classic openings to many episodes of Monty Python's Flying Circus. If you recall the first season, there'd be this outdoor shot. Mm-hmm. Michael Palin would be dressed as this old guy, and you'd come running up to the camera and go, Ugh! It's... Yeah. If you watch the opening shot of The Mutants, it's the same thing. Mm-hmm. And I actually once asked the writers, director, and producer at a convention about that. They went, oh, yeah, we stole that completely from Monty Python. Because, of course, in 1972, it would have been very right. popular. And so that was a little gag. Also on DVD, Doctor Who, the movie special edition. Paul McGann's only appearance as the ninth Doctor was this 1996 TV movie that ran on Fox television. But it is established canon and a bridge between the classic series that ended in 1989 and the revival in 2005. It's a two-disc set that is crammed with extras, including commentary tracks by Paul McGann and Sylvester McCoy. The seven-year hitch about producer Philip Siegel's attempt to bring Doctor Who to America. The Wilderness Years and more. I'd be very interested to see what you think about the TV movie, because it definitely bridges two periods. You know, the 80s show was very much kind of a film theater 
way the BBC made programs in those days, you know, video on the inside, film on the outside. A lot of actors standing around talking. The TV movie, you know, was much more dynamic. It was more like a movie, but still had to have a lot of nods to the old show. And did a lot of things that were really controversial at the time, like the doctor kissing his companion. Oh, my yeah. God. I remember, th- yeah. But Phil Collinson and Russell T. Davis have both said that they couldn't have done what they did in the series if it hadn't been for the TV movie. That was sort of the blueprint of, okay, audience will accept this, so we can do this. But it's still somewhat controversial with fans, but... You know, I'm the kind of Doctor Who fan who likes all Doctor Who. I, you know, I can't sit there and say, oh, all of the Sylvester McCoy era was crap. You know, I'm just, I'm not that kind of fan. And that segues into our feature on Paul McGann. With the 1996 Doctor Who TV movie finally being released in the United States... We'll look at the career of Paul McGann both before and after his one-shot appearance as the Doctor. After training at RADA, Liverpool-born Paul McGann began his television career in a series with Robert Lindsay called Give Us a Break in 1983. I'm a big fan of Lindsay. We did a show on him, in fact. He and McGann would be reunited years later in the Hornblower movies, but I've never heard of Give Us a Break. Have you? Yep. It was a comedy drama about snooker. Give Us a Break, get it? It ran for one season on the BBC. It was created by the guy who later on went on and created the bill. And apparently it was the BBC's answer to ITV's Minder with Dennis Waterman that was very popular at the time. So did Paul or Robert sing the theme tune? (laughs) Neither of them. Uh. It wasn't that much like Minder. In 1986, Paul McGann starred as Percy Topless in The Monocle Mutineer. Written by Alan Bleasdale, it was a dramatization of Topless's desertion of the British Army during World War I. The series garnered controversy for purportedly showing the left-wing bias of the BBC. These were the Thatcher years, don't forget. And despite its popularity, the monocled mutineer was never repeated. Nevertheless, it established Paul McGann as an engaging leading man, and to the part he is arguably most famous for in England. No, not as the Doctor... As the eye in the cult film Whitnail and I. This comedy, which also made a household name of Richard E. Grant, is little known outside the UK, but is cited by many comedians as one of their favorite films and frequently turns up on polls of the best British films. McGann and Grant play two unemployed actors in 1969 who decide to get out of London and take a trip to the country and stay at a cottage owned by Whitnail's gay uncle Monty. And he was played by Richard Griffiths. Looks about the same now as he did then, too. It's sort of, he doesn't really age, does he? How come Monty on such a horrible little shack? No idea. Never discuss your family, do you? Failed to see my family as of any interest to you. I've absolutely no interest in yours. I dislike relatives in general. My own particular way. Because I've told you why. We're incompatible. They don't like me being on stage. Then they must be delighted with your career. What do you mean? You really are. You just wait. Just you wait. When I strike, they wonder what hit them. Catch your punching. Yeah, get after him. That's the man. Stop! Are you the farmer? Shut up! I'll deal with this. 
We've gone on holiday by mistake. We're on holiday by mistake. <laughs> Some great lines in there. Have you seen With Bill Nye? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. What do you think about it? I, I loved it. And I've read the book, too, so I know every intricate bit of the behind-the-scenes filming and how there's absolutely no improvisation at all. Every um and ah and silly thing toss-off was scripted. But there was a happy accident where Richard E. Grant was eating bread and a bit of it stuck out looking like a tooth and made him look extra silly. And so they kept that part in and... Strangely, if he doesn't write about Paul as much as anyone else in the production and the whole story of its filming, Richard just wrote that every role he got for the next 10 years came from people who saw him in that film. And I like Richard E. Grant. I think he's a great actor, but he sort of plays a variation of that same part. Well, it's it's true. I, I, I'm really glad there is a Richard E. Grant, but I'm glad that not all actors are Richard E. Grant-esque. <laughs> I thought of one... Um, of a royal scandal. That was a Richard E. Grant part where he was not Richard E. Granny. He was a, he was very funny in that. But yeah, that was the rule that, the exception to the rule. Yes. That one. But a lot of times, you know, the proto performance of his is with Nail and I. Mm -hmm. Well, I think he's a better writer than actor. I love his writing. And he seems to be a thoroughly decent person. Looking back, I don't think he wrote that much about Paul McGann in the book. Maybe they weren't. They just didn't hang out that much aside from filming. I don't know. He didn't write anything against him, hmm. but he seemed closer to a lot of the other actors who had smaller parts in the sh in the movie. Yeah, 1999, Channel 4 had it with Elm I Night, and they had a documentary, which everybody participated in. They talked about the show, and lots and lots of famous people just quoting lines and just mm -hmm. like how many times they've seen the movie. And again, Fork it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> most people don't hear about that film here. It, it plays few rep houses, things like that, but they don't show it on TV. It's not really well known. Well, I remember watching it. I just thought Paul McCann was the cutest thing I'd ever seen. And then he gets his hair cut very severely at the end because he gets a job. And I couldn't decide where, which way he looked better. I thought he was very attractive and I, I liked him. I thought he held his own too against the force of nature that was with Nail. Because <laughs> with Nail was such the showy part. Yes. You know, he could have... Paul could have just disappeared completely. And we've seen him in other things that shows that he can be the showy part too, just as well. But that wasn't what was required for this film. And I think he must have had a lot of confidence not to kind of go, wait, wait, wait. I have to have them look at me sometimes too. But well, he just a lot of it, it is that he's the, he's the audience there. He, he would sit in a scene and watch Grant bouncing off Griffiths mm -hmm. or something like that. And his, his reaction to all this craziness. And all the drinking that uh, Withnail does, I. Mm -hmm. He <laughs> so was I. He played there, I. There's trivia things that you can kind of discover his name if you look very carefully. But, you know, since it's never really named on screen, it, it's just, yeah, he's I. McGann appeared in a number of movies, including Empire of the Sun and The Rainbow for Ken Russell. In 1992, he appeared in the miniseries Nice Town by Guy Hibbert. McGann played Joe Thompson, the ideal husband who cooks, cleans, and looks after his child while his high-powered wife goes out to work. And she was played by Josette Simon from Blake 7. In 1993, Paul got the biggest break of his life in more ways than one. He got the lead role in, as Richard Sharp in ITV's ambitious series based on the Sharp novels. But a few days into filming, he hurt his knee playing football and couldn't perform the part. Sean Bean was hastily brought in to replace McGann, and the part made him a star. Hmm. McGann's injury led to what at the time was the largest insurance settlement in British television history, over £2 million. 
1995, Paul McGann teamed up with his three acting brothers for the BBC miniseries The Hanging Gale, set in Ireland during the potato famine. The following year, Paul McGann was cast as the ninth Doctor in the BBC Fox co-production that brought Doctor Who back to television for the first time in seven years. After regenerating from Sylvester McCoy, the Doctor must battle the Master for control of the TARDIS and the Doctor's remaining regenerations. See, I told you it was small. What is it they say? Yeah, they say that on my planet too. I know you. You do, huh? Gareth, answer the second question on your midterm exam. Not the third. The third may look easier, but you'll mess it up. What? Remember... Answer the second question. Don't forget. I won't. Now, can I see what's in your hand, sir? Mm. What was that all about? Ten years from now, Gareth will head the seismology unit at the UCLA task force and devise a system for accurately predicting earthquakes. You mean that, don't you? Of course. His invention saved the human race several times, but first he must graduate in poetry. The TV movie, as it's known, is often criticized by fans of the series, but I liked it 15 years ago, and I still like it now. It's not perfect, Doctor Who seldom is, and considering it was on Fox, it could have been a lot worse. Nearly everyone agrees that even in his brief time on screen, McGann was an excellent choice of the Doctor, and few fault his performance in the role. I wrote an extensive review of the TV movie 10 years ago for the About.com site, and I'll post a link to it if you want to... Read my full opinion. Keep in mind that it was written before the revival of the series, so some of my comments are a little out of date. Despite excellent ratings on the BBC, the TV movie didn't fare so well on Fox, who declined to turn it into a regular series. And Doctor Who would have to wait until Russell C. Davis resurrected in 2005. Meanwhile, Paul McGann continued his television career. In 1998, he appeared in the star-studded BBC version of Our Mutual Friend, which we mentioned last week because it also featured Timothy Small. In the following year, Paul McGann co-starred in Forgotten, an ITV miniseries that ran on PBS's Mystery. In 2000, McGann appeared in Nature Boy along with Lee Ingleby. This BBC miniseries was about a young man with an infinity for animals who crosses Britain looking for his long-lost father, played by McGann. He often only appeared in flashbacks or speaking to his son in fantasy sequences, and then he turns up in the flesh in the third episode. I think you had mentioned you thought he was only in flashbacks, but to my surprise, the nature boy finds his father, who is an inventor, very wealthy, living in this highly designed pure white house with severe black and chrome furniture, has a private nurse because he's dying of lung cancer. And it's, it's ironic and sad because a lot of his research was trying to find some cures to his strain of lung cancer. So he's trying to things on himself and they're not working. And he really doesn't, David, that's the name of Lee Ingleby's character. I just remembered. He doesn't want him there, but he sort of refuses to leave. So they kind of get to know each other very sadly and briefly, but he's not long for the world. And, and David kind of helps see him out just as they've met. Yeah. It's kind of an anthology series with David just kind of wandering through kind of like uh, David Banner and the Incredible Hulk. But he, of course, he didn't Hulk out. Yeah. yeah, well, he's in care when it starts. He's 17. Right. He's in a, kind of a a special ed class because he's, he's not a very passionate student. But the 
teacher likes him and he knows everything there is to be about nature and spends all his free time on a nature preserve down by the sea. You know, he'll get up at 4 a.m. so he can go fish and then cook the fish. That's his breakfast before he all before he goes to school. But something bad happens, so then he just, you know, takes off in search of his father, who he finds through a lot of really bizarre coincidences and seeing a photograph and that that he finds and that sort of sparks something. And then he finds the girl in the photograph and she, her mother had had an affair with his father. So, you know, so it's, it's just a road movie kind of, but it's interesting and has some great acting in it. Feels at part like parts, like it has a couple pages dropped from the script where the, these justifications for doing something come out of nowhere. But on the whole, I quite liked it. Yeah, we first talked about Nature Boy during our legally feature back in show three. Yeah. We were black and white. <laughs> also in 2000, Paul McGann starred in Fish as Jonathan Vizhnesky in this BBC series about a successful employment lawyer with family problems. But she's trying to overthrow the entire mental health service. No, no, she's standing up for the right to do her job to the best of her ability. Please, sort it out, you two. Imagine you were suddenly told that due to lack of time and money, you could only see a client once for a period of half an hour. You couldn't do your job, probably, could you? You'd need more time, you'd need more information, all those years spent studying, and suddenly you find yourself stuck behind a desk pushing paper. It's a fascinating argument, but it doesn't alter the fact that Liz Cornwall is trying to buck the system. Don't tell me you're losing your dashing nerves of steel. No. Good, because I have to leave. I have a very important meeting. In 2001, McGann began appearing in the Swashbuckler Hornblower series of TV movies as Second Lieutenant Bush. And for a lot of McGann's female fans, this is the part they have liked him in best. So he was a guest at one of the Gallifrey One conventions that I was at oh, six years ago or so, and... and uh, a lot of Hornblower fans were there. They could care less that he was Doctor Who. It's like, oh, Lieutenant Bush. Mm-hmm. That same year, he starred in Sweet Revenge on the BBC. He played Patrick Vine, a history professor with a hidden past who has set up an organization that helps people realize revenges on those who have wronged them. Let's get on to you, shall we, Ellen? That is your name, isn't it, Ellen? Yeah. You're one of Sebastian's... Failures. Sebastian failed you? Oh, no, um, I'm the failure. And what do you want from me? Well, you know the way that um, friends try and cheer you up by telling you about how oh, so-and-so got their own back on... You know the sort of thing. Um, I even bought a book on revenges. This must sound really stupid. The book wasn't very inspiring. Not really. Most of the revenges seem to involve cutting up people's clothing or painting things or dead fish. They're just a bit... Unoriginal. The Greeks, they used to um, boil children's heads and serve them up to their unsuspecting parents for dinner. Not practical. Look, I'm obviously wasting your time. It's just that um, Sebastian... Well, Sebastian thinks I can do anything. And sometimes I can Things, of course, escalate out of control, and soon dead bodies and accusations begin to turn up. The fascinating subtext in Sweet Revenge was the city of London itself, somewhat of an obsession of Vines, who lectures about men who've killed themselves in the 17th century trying to map every street. However, Vine also discovered that what goes around comes around, much to his regret. It's not accidental that McGann's are frequently cast as villains. 
Both Paul and his brother Mark have often played baddies with their, well, frankly, beady eyes and quiet, measured way of talking that is often favored by cinematic maniacs. And to be fair, they do it pretty well. And I think being able to play a good villain is a mark of a good actor. You know, most of the best Doctor Whos have been former bad guys, including David Tennant. Besides the Hornblower movies, Paul McGann made guest appearances in Agatha Christie's Poirot and Marple. Of course, everybody has. In the 2006 Supernatural series Sea of Souls, he turned up as a possibly immortal magician. Sea of Souls was an interesting series. It starred Bill Patterson as a Scottish university professor who, with his graduate students, investigated paranormal phenomena in this BBC series. There were creepy things afoot, although much like the ongoing tease of most of the X-Files, they never actually got concrete proof of anything. So hence the ambiguity of McGann's character. McGann also appeared in the Australian-British co-production Tripping Over, about two groups of friends in each country, and it ran on Channel 5 in the UK. McGann is frequently hired as a voice artist to narrate documentaries. His distinctive voice lends credibility and familiarity to factual programs. In 2007, he appeared in Two Dare Kiss, about the reunion of four sisters and a brother following the death of their estranged father. You're unbelievable. Do you have any idea how much Next Door went for? 400. <laughs> and the rest, which leaves this. The only place in the whole street not being developed. So if we don't move for it now... We? Think about it. Everyone will be after it. McElroy's, Donovan's. You get in first, you get six, maybe eight apartments, plus a couple more out the back. You'd be laughing, you'd have people queuing around the block. I've already got people queuing around the block. Yeah, but this... This ain't really my thing. Oh, well, it's a bit too ambitious. Nice try. Don't you want me to take an interest in your business? An interest, yeah. The takeover bid. Pass. But this house is different. It could be your biggest project yet. It could take the business to a whole new level. Yeah, it could if the guy would sell. Which we both know he won't. He could be encouraged to sell. You are unbelievable. <laughs> In the ITV miniseries Collision, Paul McGann played Richard Reeves as one of the group of people who get involved in a massive motorway accident. And he turned up in the Jonathan Creek movie The Judas Tree, and he played the boyfriend of Luther's ex-wife in the recent Idris Elba series. Paul McGann is the epitome of jobbing British actors. He's always working, but he rarely carries a show by himself. You know, maybe if he'd become identified as Sharp, he wouldn't have played Doctor Who, but you know, we'll never know. But as a reliable thespian, I always look forward to an appearance by Paul McGann on TV. And uh, as you said, he's played the Doctor quite a bit in audio dramas for Big Finish. Yes, still does to this day. Yes. Loads of them. Next week, the third season of Being Human begins on BBC America on February 19th. Now, we've done features on stars Lorena Critchlow and Russell Tobey, but next week in show 72, we'll bring you up to date on the best season so far of the popular Supernatural series. So your job is to start watching Being Human Season 3. Okay, I've got a couple episodes in the Becoming Human little red red button feature and watch the three of the four stars because they're including now um, Sinead Keenan as Nina as a star before it was just the three, the Annie... 
She plays a pretty big part in it. Yeah, she does. So they've put her in all the promotional photographs on the website as, instead of just the three. But Aiden Turner, of course, is shooting The Hobbit, so he couldn't be on Alan Carr's show. But the other three were. And Alan made Russell laugh so hard he nearly subsided into the couch a couple times. <laughs> he most, they were showing a picture of Nina as a werewolf. And they said, well, how does a female werewolf, how do you differentiate a female werewolf with a male werewolf, and Ellen thought it was maybe lipstick on a, a clutch bag. <laughs> so, <laughs> and Russell laughed for about the next hour. So, <laughs> oh, Meanwhile, we'd like you to go to our website, www.britishtvpodcast, and there you can find links to headlines, show notes, what's on TV this week, and an archive of our previous 70 shows. And someone tweeted me and asked if we had a forum for... Listeners that have feedback. Well, we don't have our website because that would actually require me to know something about writing websites. But you can do it on our Facebook page. So mm -hmm. check that out if you want to throw your two cents worth in. I mean, everybody's on Facebook now, right? It should be. You can follow our Twitter feed at twitter.com slash podcast. And if you have any comments or suggestions, you can send it to feedback at britishtvpodcast.com. So I'm continuing to follow Outcast. I still need to watch The Promise. I hear it's pretty good. And we've got Mad Dogs next week. Mm -hmm. So Yay. there's lots to catch up on. Yeah, I have to watch uh, Accused because I have them all. I was in a low point when they were broadcast. and I didn't want to watch depressing stuff. But I'm feeling stronger and happier these days. So I think I'll catch up on those. But tonight I'll probably go and watch the next... Um, Secret Diary of a Call Girl, that's an easy one to just... Oh, yeah, because they're so short. Yep. Then, yeah, the nice short little story. I mean, 23 minutes is a very compact time to tell a story that's got mm -hmm. a beginning, middle, and end, and they do it really well. Yep. I like Ido Goldberg a lot. I have not seen him in very many other things at all. I think he's very attractive, really good actor. Um, he was in... It was funny, he was in Nathan Barley... And I've seen both the pilot for Nathan Barley and the series, and he played the same character in both, but his interpretation changed a lot from the pilot, where he was kind of meek and introverted into this really wacky, crazy artiste who just thought everything he did was a work of art. Every waking moment was creating a work of art, you know, with the garbage he left after eating food or whatever. <laughs> Nathan Barley, of course, was done by our pal Charlie Brooker. Yep. Have you seen the 10 o'clock show yet? No. It's getting mixed reviews, and they still can't quite figure out what to do with Lauren Laverne. Hmm. But it's definitely strong in the first half of the show because yeah. I like Carr's stand-up at the beginning. You Charlie know, sure is prolific, too. He's, he's get, almost getting up there into Stephen Fry territory of all the different shows he's able to write and contribute to. And I think he's getting there. Yeah, well, and even had time to knock out a zombie show a couple mm -hmm. years ago. Yeah, so. exactly. Well, I think he is a part owner of Zepatron, so, you know, he's, he is a producer, so I think he realizes that making content is how you make money. Yep. And there's been a lot of laughs about his hair. Actually, actually, I think they said, someone joked that they, they th the three guys had the three worst haircuts on British TV. Oh, no. Because... I say, but David Mitchell definitely has got that sort of Adolf Hitler come over that kind of started start, start getting into his eyes. Yeah, yeah, just keep it out of the eyes, hairdo, yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Goodbye.